0: The Casket of Fictional Delights presents The Roaring Sixties, a short story by guest writer James Stark. The reader is Gary Hoffman. What's your name, sweetie? The barefoot woman in a flowing muumu smiled as she straightened the garland of flowers in her abundant brown hair. I shaded my eyes through my hand from the bright summer sun to discern the source of the laughing voice. What I found was a portrait of a round face with green eyes, sourcing a bright smile through red lips and white teeth. Her off-the-shoulder moo accentuated her fulsome figure. I almost expected a hula. Instead, she reached out for the joint I was studying and passed me her unlabeled bottle of anonymous brown liquid. The leaves on the large maple trees surrounding our campsite did their hula with the sun and the breeze. Later that night, the wide-open sky would draw my and her focus to the Big Dipper, Orion, and the other heavenly bodies which I rarely saw in the city. Our merry, motley band of vagabonds were a random collection of tie eyed long-haired, bearded men. Some were paired, and some not, with women who held us close, smiled, laughed, cried with us, and mostly listened to our anti-everything ranting. They were breaking from their mother's role modeling, but not as far as they would have wanted. Most often we traveled in caravans of VW buses, school buses, or other such marginal conveyances. Sometimes we just met up. That summer day was like many in the mid-60s. Itinerant groups of young people camped on the shores of lakes or rivers in the west far enough from cities, towns, and villages to avoid the anti-hippie hecklers and actual violence-doers. The scene in the various cities we drove through had gotten too radical, too political, and even too dangerous. Put tame, ask me again and I'll tell you the same, was my stock answer whenever anyone wanted to pry into my anonymity. We all had road names, some derived from popular culture like the Marx Brothers. Well, that's kind of rude, Mr. Puddentame. I don't believe that's your real name, sweetie, she said with a smoky giggle. Now my real name is, at which point I reached a hand over her mouth and shook my head. No, I said. No real names here. Not now, not ever. I can find out, you know, sweetie. I know people here, and besides, you're kind of cute. I never roll in the clover with a no name roamer. I don't remember who was gone first the next morning, she or I, from the bower we had spent the night in by that beautiful lake in Oregon. We never saw each other after that. Though I hadn't given up my name, she did give up her favors. But apparently, someone did reveal my identity one of the few who was not comatose in that meadow by that lake at the end of the dirt road where tents and campfires and guitars punctuated the night. That revelation would visit me much later. There were a lot of changes happening everywhere in America, and especially in my family back in the time some are calling the roaring 60s. My crowd of young under-30s just wanted to piss off the older generation. Graduating college made me uppity to my relatives who hadn't had or taken that opportunity. My ponytail got a lot of abuse and threats with scissors. But the topper was when I burned my draft card while I was in the chorus of other long hairs chanting something about the president, LBJ. My family had apparently seen it all on the evening news. It's your damn duty to serve your country. My dad, uncles, and older brothers yelled into my ears through my long hair. We did it. Why are you so special? Are you that chicken shit? They wanted to know. I didn't think I was a coward. I just agreed with Muhammad Ali when he said, I got nothing against them Viet Congs. But the dogs of war were in hot pursuit, and I had dodged and ducked and run so long that I missed out joining a National Guard unit to hide in and the Peace Corps had no more empty countries to volunteer in. I sure as hell didn't have time or the inclination to get a marriage deferment. Besides, the government was moving the goalpost of deferments about every month. I had considered lighting out for Canada when my draft lottery number came up, and I was called in for a draft physical. After waiting mostly naked in lines of other nervous young men who were convinced their lives as they knew them were about to end, The docs checked my urine and blood sample and even x-rayed my feet. I dressed and waited an eternity until my name was called. A young doctor waved me over to his table and presented me with his findings. You have flat feet, he said apologetically. I'm sorry to inform you that none of the military branches will be able to use your services. I was still fastening my bell-bottom trousers when I stopped, looked into his very young face and asked, Does that mean... Yep, he said. Rest assured, your boots will never be on the ground over there. Hell no, I won't go. Didn't have the same cachet for me anymore. All I could continue to shout was, Hey, hey, LBJ, how many boys have you lost today? So I stopped watching Dan Rather report on the corrupt government in Vietnam and closed my ears to the body counts, after I recognized names and faces in the newspaper from my school classes. And I continued to get high and dropped farther out of what was still the mainstream, but I maintained a distant solidarity with the guys in uniform who didn't have that option. Eventually, I grew older and maybe a bit wiser. I went back to school collected a few more degrees, and put myself on the corporate market. In order not to be outed in graduate school or on the job, I stored, uh, even hid the old pictures of the protest uniforms of long hair and bell-bottoms. One never knows when evidence of a past life might cause concern in a future one. But memories are memories, after all. All that history had recently been lurking in the dark corners of my memory when one late summer evening, so many decades later, the doorbell rang, taking me away from the football game in my comfortable three-bedroom, two-bath suburban home. All brought to me and my family by the middle-class life I had acquired, with the help of those several college degrees earned after a career of protesting this or that social ill. Hello? Can I help you? I asked of the 30-something woman with the abundance of brown hair smiling on the other side of the screen door. Elliot Palmer, she asked, her voice rising to pose the question. That would be me, yes, I said, looking for the petition to sign or the donation envelope to fill. I think we're related, she said with a smile and added. Sweetie, I must have looked as dumbfounded as I felt. But suddenly, indefinable warmth came over me as memories of a far-off Oregon lake and an almost forgotten youth flooded my senses. Unexpectedly and indescribably, a weight dropped from somewhere in my psyche. I didn't immediately respond to the smiling young woman before me, But a smile began forming around my mouth and even in my eyes. And then the words came to me. Please, come in. I've been waiting for you, sweetie. The Roaring Sixties was written by one of our guest writers, James Stark, and read by Gary Hoffman. There are more short stories and flash fiction on the website, thecasket.co.uk. The Casket of Fictional Delights podcasts are also available on iTunes, Amazon Music Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many others. Thank you for listening.